for overcoming. <laughs> and we, sometimes we don't talk that much about the battle. We just talk about winning and, and uh, you know, being an overcomer. We're more than conquerors, but there's something that we're conquering. There's something that we're defeating. There's something that we're winning. There's something uh, that we are gr- greater than, stronger than. Amen. The Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So that means that there is something that's against us. There's something that is in opposition in our lives. There's something that we are warring against. And sometimes, uh, as we said in our very first opening message, uh, winning the battle, half of winning the battle is knowing who you're fighting. And I, I think that we have painted the wrong picture in the church as to who we're fighting who our enemy is, who's against us, who is this thing that we are daily trying to defeat in our lives. And, uh, you know, we've painted the picture that the devil is the one that we're fighting against. Uh, He's the enemy. He's the big bad guy with the pitchfork and the horns on his head that's just trying to kill you and destroy you. And the Bible says that Jesus said that the enemy comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. Okay. But we've outlined, we've seen this, that the devil's not your problem. Jesus took care of the devil. When he went to the cross, uh, he whipped, stripped, defeated him of everything, every power, all authority that he had uh, has been taken away from him. And so we've learned that the devil doesn't have any authority, doesn't reign in your life unless you let him, unless you allow him to. The Bible says if I submit to God, submit to God, right, and Uh, That puts me in a position of watching the devil flee. I can command him to flee and he has to leave. Amen. And then we saw that sin is not our problem. Sin is not the issue. Uh, Sometimes we feel like we're trying to overcome sin or sin is so strong and sin has all this power against us. And sin is overcoming us and I just don't have the ability to stop sinning. So instead of winning in life, we go on sinning in life. But we learn that sin doesn't even have to dominate us. Sin doesn't even have to control us. Sin, although it has power, doesn't have power over the believer that operates in their authority. We saw this. Okay, so the devil and sin are not your problems. Therefore, they can't be your excuse. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't make you do it. You're born again, saved believer. You have Jesus Christ living inside of you. The Holy Spirit's operating in and through you. He's quickening you saying, hey, this is wrong. Hey, this is right. We don't need to do this. We need to do this. You have all the ability and all the resource from the time that you are born again to say no every single time. But we have to come into knowledge of some things. Number one, we had to find out who we're fighting. Number two, in the second week, we had to discover who we are. And that's when we did the whole selfie. If y'all remember that, we did it. We got it, put it out on Facebook. The whole world got to see it. I had to teach down in St. Augustine that night. And everybody was like, hey, we saw you preaching. And they saw my picture on Facebook. But what were we identifying? That everybody has an image of themselves. And what you don't realize is the image you have of yourself is the image you're portraying to everybody else. And until we take the right selfie of ourselves, until we see ourselves in the image of God, created a new creation in Christ Jesus, old things have passed away, all things, until you see that image, you won't portray that image. And that's why we have Christians that are walking around just calling themselves sorry sinners. That's why we have believers walking around saying, you know, the devil's beating me up today. I just can't seem to stop. I, I know I should do this, but I should. But I, I, I keep doing this and I know I shouldn't do this. Right. And so that's the image that we're portraying. But we need to have an image of overcoming. We need to have an image of ourselves winning and conquering and defeating. Not Christians that are running away from the devil or trying to lock themselves in a church away from the devil, but ones that will face him Head on and say, I win every time. I will win in life. It's not ignoring that there's a sin. It's not ignoring that there's a devil that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It's just identifying I'm stronger than all of that. I got to know who I am. Okay? This is the identity issue. The, The church has an identity crisis. We don't know who we are 
in Christ Jesus. And that's why we relate to sin more than we relate to, re- relate to overcoming. We relate to losing more than winning. And that's why we have Christians that just want to go to heaven because they're tired of losing. Anybody like losing? Nobody likes to lose. Nobody likes to lose. And so we think the only way to win is just to get out. But that's not winning. That's not winning. You realize that if you go to heaven, there's no reason for you to exercise any kind of authority. There's no sickness and disease there. There's no poverty or lack there. There's no anxiety or worry or depression. People, angels in heaven are not depressed. (laughs) They're not wishing for a better life. They're not up there living paycheck to paycheck. And they're not up there looking at what somebody else has and says, I wish that I had had that. There's no sin issue in heaven. There's no reason for you to exercise any kind of authority. But what was the first thing God gave to man when he created him? Authority. Even in the garden, the perfect paradise that we all wish we could go live in, right? Authority had to be exercised. You were placed on this earth, earth for authority to rule and to reign. To operate in dominion. So I want to continue with this. We're going to close this out and we're going to learn how to crucify the flesh. The title of my message today is Dead Man Walking. Dead Man Walking. Because what we saw last week was we are literally attached to a dead corpse that we're dragging around in life. And the problem is, is we're letting the dead man have a voice that he shouldn't have. We've discovered this, that the key to winning in life is, number one, identifying with who you are on the inside. Well, you're a three-part being. You are a spirit, you possess a soul, and you live in a body. Your body cannot be saved. Your soul is being saved, and your spirit is saved. Your spirit has all the newness, all the new creation was, has been created in Christ Jesus. When God looks at you, he sees your future, not your past. He sees your spirit, not your flesh. He sees a new creation. The Bible tells me that my life has been hidden in Christ. So guess what he sees when he looks at you? Jesus. But we are wrapped in this flesh that does not want anything to do with God. Your flesh wants nothing to do with the Bible. Your flesh wants to punch people in the face. Your flesh wants to cuss people out. Your flesh wants to get anxious and depressed about life when things don't go your way. Your flesh wants to divorce. Your flesh wants to stop being a mommy and a daddy. Your flesh wants to quit the job that you've been sent to do. Your flesh wants to do all those things. Your spirit, on the other hand, Wants to do what's right every time. Your spirit wants to speak kind words to people that speak evil of you. Your spirit wants to walk in peace even though everything's falling apart around you. Your spirit wants to be rest assured that God will take care of everything when the bank account says nothing. This is the spirit. This is the flesh. This is the eternal struggle that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says this. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the promise that we have, that Jesus died on the cross. Why? So that we could be given newness of life. If you go further on down in the same book in verse 19, verse 19, it says, For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Also, by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Righteous. What's that mean? To be in right standing before the Heavenly Father. That when we stand before him, he sees righteousness. He sees Jesus. He sees someone that has never messed up. And that is because of the price that Jesus paid. Jesus gave up his life so that we could experience new life. Jesus gave his life away. So that you and I could have a new life in Christ. This is the price that he paid. But notice here in verse 19, go back to verse 19. It says, by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. 
one man's obedience. Philippians chapter 2 verse 8 says it this way. And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus, he himself humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Notice that Jesus, fulfilling his purpose in life, was a result of his obedience to what? His father's plan. Bible tells us that Jesus was a lamb slain before the foundations of the world. What's that mean? That means that he killed something before he ever started this thing. Jesus died. Jesus was a lamb slain before the foundations of the world. Jesus gave up his life before he ever went to the cross. Jesus set himself that this is the plan that my father has. And to walk it out is going to require full obedience to the plan. We saw this last week. That Jesus had a will. Jesus had desires, even that were outside of his father's. And when he got in that garden, his flesh and his spirit went to waging battle. The eternal struggle. If you are wrapped in flesh, you are in a struggle. See, I'm not here to deny the struggle. I'm here to identify the struggle and learn how to overcome, learn how to win. I grew up in an age in the 90s where we just denied all that. And so when we saw people sinning because we thought we were so high and mighty and righteous, we looked down on them and we couldn't let them walk in our churches. And we're paying the price today. Our churches are paying the price. There are churches today. Spirit filled churches that are paying the price because they have no evangelistic attitude. If you're not doing what we're doing, you don't belong here. And that's not this church. That's not Anchor Faith Church in St. Augustine. All I know is I grew up in church, and when I got to St. Augustine, I was a mess. No matter what I knew. In fact, only knowing more just made it worse. (laughs) Because the more I know means I'm accountable for more. I'm responsible for the knowledge that I know. And so we live these Blanket lies, in essence, we have churches full of Pharisees and Sadducees that point to everybody else and point out the, 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 the speck of wood in someone else's eye and we've got a log in our own. We're not here to deny the struggle. This church is here because people struggle. That's why this church is here. You know, as a pastor, people have a hard time telling me that they're struggling. Now, I don't understand. I, I've... I've done everything I can and I do everything that I can to let people know we are here to help you overcome. That's why we're here. But I, as a pastor, and Pastor Earl deals with the same thing and every pastor in the United States of America deals with the same thing. We don't find out about the struggles until we're so far gone that we have to do so much work to fix it. This church is here to help struggling people. We have answers. We have answers. We have answers. That's why we're here. Because we know there's an eternal struggle, but we know we can win. And we know that winning is a progression. You don't win overnight. Winning is is the result of choices. We're going to see this today. Winning is a result of making daily decisions. And you may slip and fall, but you get right back up and you go. That's what maturity is all about. Nobody here was born as a baby and then the next morning woke up and you're ready to take the keys to the car and go buy your own house. Maturity is a progression based upon decisions you make in life. Period. So we see that Jesus himself was faced with a struggle. Jesus himself had to put himself in a position To make the right choice. And you know what? He died before he ever got to the cross. Died to what? Himself. He died to himself. He died to his will. He died to his desires. He died to what he wanted to do. Because he made this statement. Not my will, but your will be done. 
And we said this last week that you and I have to take up the same cross Jesus took up. That doesn't mean that we have to go nail ourselves to a cross. That means that you have to die to your flesh, die to your self, die to your will, just like Jesus did. This is ultimately how you win in life. So Jesus was considered obedient even to the point of death by making a decision, I will die to myself. So look at Romans chapter 6. And we're pretty much going to read this entire chapter. Because this, I believe, is the perfect place to wrap this up, to line this out, to identify how we win in life, how we overcome in life. How do we defeat this struggle? Romans chapter 6. Let's start with verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You know, this really outlines what water baptism is all about. We did water baptism in our Easter Sunday service, as a matter of fact. We baptized several people in that service. And what they were doing was demonstrating that I am dying to an old life and I'm being resurrected, coming back up into the newness of life that Jesus has. In essence, you're doing the same thing Jesus did. Water baptism is not an option, and water baptism is, is not just uh, something that we do religiously. Uh, in essence, you could put it this way, water baptism is your initiation into the kingdom. It's saying this, I am doing away with an old life, and I'm choosing to live a new life. That's what water baptism is. And it's an outward demonstration of an inward decision that I make. I choose I'm giving up my old life and I'm going to live for Jesus. And now I'm going to demonstrate that to everyone that I am killing my old man and I'm resurrecting my new man. Paul uh, uses many references to identify the old lifestyle and the new lifestyle. He says, uh, old man, new man. He says, flesh and spirit. He says, carnal and a spirit life. He talks about uh, the sinful nature and the new nature. These are all terms to identify old lifestyle, new lifestyle. And so he's identifying here that don't you understand that you were, you, when you came into the kingdom, when you were born again, that you gave up that old life, you buried the old life, and then you were resurrected with new life. Just like Jesus. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. What's he saying here? If I can get rid of the old man, I can get rid of the old life. If I can get rid of the old life, I can get rid of sin. He's saying here that freedom from sin is a result of killing the old man. And he uses a very strong term. He says crucified. Our old man was crucified. I mean, crucifixion wasn't just a bullet to the head. Crucifixion was torture. Crucifixion was a depiction to everybody that this person has done something wrong. It lets everybody know because your body's up there for days. This was a, a, a form of torture and a form of murder that the Romans came up with to keep people from doing wrong. We'll crucify you. And that's not fun. And Paul uses this term to identify that this is how you must get rid of the flesh. The flesh doesn't just go away. 
This term that he uses, that the body of sin might be done away with, does not mean that your old lifestyle just disappears. It means this, rendered inoperative. Done away with. That Greek term right there means to render inoperative. Means it's still there, but you take its power away. Well, you know, that's what happened to the devil. The devil is today the God of this world. Well, I thought you said Jesus beat him. Jesus rendered him inoperative. He still exists, but his power has been taken away. Unless you give it back to him. See, the only way someone can get authority is if someone gives authority to them. You cannot place yourself in authority. The president of the United States can't just walk in and say, all right, I'm in charge. And the vice president can't just step up and say, today I'm in charge. No, authority is given. The only way you get authority is because God gave authority to you. And the only way the devil gets authority back is if you give it to him. It's a chain of command. As long as we're careful not to give the devil authority that does not belong to him, we win. We win. So this body of sin, that it might be done away with, it might be rendered inoperative, which means I can cause it. To be operational once again, if I'm not careful. The old man was crucified with him, not extinct. The, the old man is, doesn't just disappear and go away, and you all know that. <laughs> We're excited about coming into the kingdom, but as we stated, coming into the kingdom also made us aware of an ongoing battle that we fight. Every day. You don't get rid of your old, old man. You learn to rule over him. You don't get rid of the old man. That might be disappointing to hear. But the exciting part is, is you've been given authority back to be in charge once again. You have been given authority to rule over the old man. The old man doesn't have to say anything. The old man doesn't have to have a voice. The old man doesn't have to control. The old man doesn't have to be in charge because you've been given authority back through Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 tells me that I am seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, everything that's named. I am in charge once again. And I got an option. I can either rule over things that I should be operating in dominion over, or I can give them authority back once again. And so the old man doesn't just go away. You don't get rid of him. You just tell him what to do. Look at verse 7. For he who has died, for he who has died, down in verse 7, has been freed from sin. When you die to your old nature, you no longer have to live in sin any longer. It's that simple. When you die to your old nature, when you die to the flesh, when you die to the old man that used to be in charge, look, before your spirit didn't have an option. Before you came to Christ, you sinned. And that's all you knew how to do was just sin. We were just really good at sinning. Some of us were real good at sinning. Some really made a practice of it. Thank God that he has delivered us that no matter how bad, how wrong, how much we've done, we have been delivered from that and we can instantly be placed in control, be back in charge. Because when we get delivered from a sinful, uh, when we get delivered from the sin nature, we're freed from sin itself. Now, if we die with Christ... We believe also that we shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. 
But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Now, I don't live a life according to sin. I live a life according to God. I don't live living my life doing what sin tells me to do. I live my life doing what God tells me to do. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the same way that Jesus lived his life to please his father, you and I can live our lives to please our father. Now watch this. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey in its lusts. Do not let sin, which means... We can let sin. Which means it's up to us. Sin doesn't just happen. Sin doesn't just force us to do the wrong thing. We have the opportunity to control or not control, to allow or disallow sin to operate in our lives. Therefore, do not let. It's up to us, guys. It's up to us. Verse 13, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. What does that mean? Don't use your body to sin. Don't use your tongue to sin. Don't use your mind to sin. Don't let your hands lead you to sin. Don't let your feet take you places where sin is. Do not offer up your body. This body is, a, is an instrument and I can use it for good or I can use it for bad. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. Over in Romans chapter 12, Paul says, offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, living sacrifice, that's huge. Because that means, you know, a sacrifice is a sacrifice because you don't want to give it up. Being a living sacrifice means I am daily making choices in my life to do something that I would want to do. Your life every day should be a result of decisions made against your flesh's will. But you make a choice, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to say that. That is a living sacrifice and present your members as instruments of righteousness. So this body that was now just doing a bunch of wrong stuff, I can now use it to do the right thing. I can now use it to obey my father. I can now use it to bring heaven to earth. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves to obey, you are the you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Look, whatever you do with your body, you've just been controlled by that thing. If I sin out of my body, I've just presented myself a slave to sin. I do what sin tells me to do. But if I do the right thing, then I've just presented myself as a slave unto the Holy Spirit, unto righteousness, unto my Father. I do what He tells me to do now. My body that was now, uh, that was once doing the wrong thing, I can now use it to do the right thing. Verse 17, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you, look at this word, obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Now, you may remember that we saw because of one man's obedience, many were made righteous. Over in Philippians chapter 2, we saw that Jesus was obedient even to the point of death. The same way that Jesus overcame is the same way you and I overcome. Obedience. 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 Because, he says, God be thanked that I don't have to present my body 
as an instrument of sin any longer because I've chosen to obey that word which I've heard. Now I know to do different and now I can be different. And not because of the law, because of grace. Remember, we saw this when we talked about grace, that the law just identified the problem, but didn't give me the power to actually do the right thing. The law just showed me a list of right and a list of wrong. Now I have the law attached to grace, which empowers me now to do the right thing. I can see right from wrong and I can do right from wrong. We've been empowered. We've been equipped to do the right thing every time. And having been uh, set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Trust me, you want to be a slave of righteousness. What's that mean? That just means that I obey what righteousness tells me to do. What's the righteous choice to make? And I obey that. The same thing Jesus did to overcome, I do to overcome. I obey righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. So now if I do righteous things, I become holy. Righteousness is the action. Holiness is who I am now. I am holy because I do righteous. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is dead. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, watch this, you have your fruit to holiness. What's fruit? Fruit is the resulting action because of the position that I'm in. What's that mean? It should be evident to people that I'm a slave of righteousness. It should be evident to the world. People should know. People should see. People should recognize. People should identify. I am no longer a slave of sin. I am now uh, submitting my members as instruments unto God. Fruit is what people see. Fruit is what people see. And he says, now what you used to just have a bunch of bad fruit hanging off your tree. Your fruit just showed everybody that you were a sinner. But now you should be portraying a different image to a lost world. That my members, my body is not subjected to sin any longer. I now obey my father and people can eat your fruit. Do you have fruit worth eating? Do you have fruit worth taking, worth picking off of the tree? He says here that our fruit will come into alignment. Fruit to holiness. In the end, everlasting life. Because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And notice that wages is something that you work for, and a gift is something you don't work for. The wages of sin, which means you worked for those wages, and sin always pays out. The end of two weeks, death. Don't make the mistake that Adam and Eve did. Take the bite and look at and see that you're still living, because just because you're alive doesn't mean you're living. They were alive physically, but they were dead spiritually, separated from God himself. Don't confuse breathing with living. There are many people that have come to this life, lived a life, but never really lived. There are people that have come into the kingdom and received newness of life and never really experienced it because we continue to give ourselves to an old lifestyle. This is how we overcome. Overcome in life. 
Our lives should reflect a flesh that is dead. Our lives should reflect a flesh that is dead. That now, and dead again, not meaning dead as in separated from this earth. Dead meaning no power. That the choices and the decisions that I make in life now rule over my flesh. Dominate my flesh. Put my flesh under. Look at how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 31. I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Daily, Paul said he died. Paul understood this crucifying of the flesh to live according to the Spirit. Paul understood this dominating and controlling of the flesh. And he understood this, that it wasn't a decision that I once made. It's a decision that I am making. Living the kingdom life is not a result of making a decision when you were five years old and praying a prayer. It's a decision you make every day. Because any day I can wake up and say, I will not live the kingdom life today. It's a progressive decision. It's not a choice I once made. It's a choice I am making repeatedly. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26. Therefore I run, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight. Look, if you're fighting, that means you're, there's something to fight. Not as the one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. What's the body? The flesh, the sinful lifestyle, the old man. I discipline my body, bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. One translation reads this way, I put my body under. I put my body under. A holy life is a result of a disciplined life. A holy life is the result of a discipline. A holy life is not someone that goes to church. A holy life is someone who becomes the church. Who is the church. Ephesians 5 tells us that Jesus is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. That's his church. That's the church he's coming back for. He's coming back for a holy church. A church that has learned to discipline their flesh so much that they use their body as instruments of righteousness, not of sin any longer. We are to rule and reign over our flesh and its desires. A holy life is not the result of one choice. It's the result of many choices over a lifetime. You have to realize every morning I wake up, I have to do what Jesus did. I have to be obedient to the point of death. See, some of us are dragging around dead bodies and some of us are being drug around by dead bodies. Some of us are listening to the dead body more than we're listening to our alive God. Because that, de- that dead body, it still wants to do what it used to do. It still wants to live the way it lived. Say the things it used to say. Look at the stuff it used to look at. Listen to the things that you, your old life still, that old man that's chained up and you're dragging around with you. He still wants to hang out with the old people you used to hang out with. He still wants to do those things, but we have to realize, we have to come to understand that our life is the result of the decisions we make every day. I can make decisions to obey. I can make decisions not to obey. You know, 
it's funny because we think that when we're not doing what the word tells us to do, that we're doing what we want to do. But let me just make it clear. You're never really doing what you want to do. See, you thought it was your will to go hang out with those people last night, but it wasn't. You thought it was your, well, I just, I chose to cuss them out. They needed a good cussing out or whatever you call it. They needed, they needed to hear what I had to say. They needed to know, right? This is what we think. I made the choice. I know it was wrong, but I chose to do it. No, you didn't. You made the choice, but somebody else told you what to do. You're still being obedient just to the wrong voice. You're never really doing what you want to do. Well, I just felt like it. No, you felt like disobeying God and obeying another voice. That dead man. See, the devil's not your problem. He's whipped. Sin's not your problem. You've got control over that. It's that old man that wants to... He, look, he wakes up with you every morning. And you've got to put him back down every morning. Don't wait till halfway through the day to crucify the flesh. Don't wait till that night to crucify the flesh. Crucify him the first thing you do when you wake up. You wake up and say, I'm crucifying the flesh. The flesh doesn't have a voice. The flesh doesn't have a say-so. I will not do what the flesh tells me to do. I will not act the way the flesh tells me to act. I will not talk the way the flesh tells me to talk. I will do what the Word tells me to do. Because that's where life is. If I submit my mind... To carnal things, that's going to produce in death. If I submit my mind to the spirit, produces life and peace. So the choice is up to us. Bottom line, when it's all said and done, winning in life is a result of making obedient decisions daily. It's that simple. I choose to obey. I choose to obey the voice of my father. I choose to obey what his word says. I choose to live a life in obedience to my father and crucify the flesh. Torture it. Put it under. Discipline your body. It doesn't have a voice. It doesn't have a say-so. It's going to rise up and say, hey, we could do it this way. You say, no, you're dead. I'm a dead man. I remember one time we had an evangelist come through our church. And um, him and his wife, uh, they would always sing a song when they traveled in. He would preach, but they would do like this song thing together. uh, And uh, they had tracks that they gave to the sound man. And they were doing a sound check one morning. And we were all there. And um, I guess it wasn't up loud enough or something was wrong with the track. And so, uh, you know, he was kind of having to be you know, pretty brash with the sound guy. Hey, we need this. I need this. I need more of this or whatever. I think actually he played a trumpet and uh, he would play the trumpets and stuff and his, him and his wife would sing too. They, they would travel in and do this. And afterwards, uh, he, he went up to the sound guy and he said, uh, hey man, I, I apologize. I, I didn't mean to offend you. You know, if I came off kind of brash and harsh, I was just really trying to get the sound that I needed. And our sound guy responded this way. He said, you can't offend a dead man. I can't get offended. I'm I'm dead. Dead people don't get offended. And your spirit sure doesn't get offended. See, there's there's opportunities for your flesh to respond in certain ways. But when, when you realize it's dead, it doesn't have any control. I don't get offended. Because that part of me that that gets offended is dead. And dead people don't get offended. And it's that way with anything in your life. You ask yourself, do dead people do that stuff? Then I don't do it. It's that simple. My flesh is dead. And the spirit man, who I really am, the real me, wants to do this. And so I make the right choice. Chase, when he ministered a few, several weeks ago, He made the statement, he says, your life is a result of the decisions you make on a daily basis. You are what you are today because you chose to be that. It's period. Everyone thinks that we've been handed a lot in life. 
Well, this is what I've got, so this is the best I can do. What have you done with what you have? What are the choices that you've made with the children that you parent, with the spouse that you're married to, with the job that you're at, with the friends that you have? What have we done? What are the choices that we have made on a daily basis to choose to be holy before our God, to win in life? This is a body of overcomers. This is a body of believers. This is a body of Christ that reflects, that has the fruit of the kingdom of God in everything that we do. There's a struggle. But I want you to know this. If you don't get anything else out of what we've said over the last several weeks, know this, that God has given you every capability to win every time. You don't ever have to lose again. And let me say this. Sometimes when we fail, we consider ourselves failures. And that's called condemnation. In Romans chapter 8, we read all around Romans 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. And if I were to give you a homework assignment, I would assign you to read Romans 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. Because this series is pulled out of those chapters. Because that's all that Paul talks about. Paul identifies the old life and the new life and what Jesus has come to do to give us the new life and how to live according to the new life. And Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says this, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is a work of the devil to keep you from ever getting back up and trying again. He knows he's defeated. You know, the devil knows he's defeated more than most Christians know he's defeated. But where he works is condemning you in stuff you've done. This is where a lot of believers get stuck. We fall into condemnation. Look, the Holy Spirit brings conviction. How can you tell the difference? Condemnation reminds you of what you've done to keep you from ever doing anything else. Conviction shows you what you've done so you can do something different next time. That's the difference. The devil just wants to bring up your past. And look, this is how the devil works. When sin approaches. And Jesus said this to Peter, be careful because sin's creeping at your door. When sin approaches, here's what the devil does. He tells you it's okay. Go ahead. It's just this one time. God will forgive you. It's just this. It's just that. He's always got a reason why it's okay to do it. And then the second you do it, Who's the first verse, who's the first voice you hear? Man, you're an idiot. Boy, you failed. You're never going to get it right. He's the one that told you to do it. And he instantly comes in with condemnation because he wants to be that one act, the very thing that you repeat for the rest of your life. You'll never get free from pornography. You'll never be able to talk to people right. You'll never get out of depression. You'll never live the life that you're supposed to live. You're not ever going to fulfill. And he just automatically starts coming with condemnation, telling you how sorry you are. But the Holy Spirit comes in and he tells you how awesome you are. So awesome that we don't have to live that way. So awesome we don't have to choose that anymore. So awesome we don't have to talk that way. So awesome we don't have to respond that way. So awesome we don't have to look at that anymore. That's what I've placed inside of you. That's called conviction. I'm convicted of what I did because I can do something different. And because we fail, we automatically label ourselves failures. The only way you truly fail in life is when you quit. When you give up. 
That's what a failure looks like. A failure is one that doesn't get back up and try it again. And really, in our American culture, we've made it hard to try and try and try. And we've made it so hard to keep trying that we end up quitting. People in America don't like challenges. We don't like challenges. Other countries love challenges. They love opportunities to overcome something. And it's against our culture, even in this nation, to try to overcome something and try to beat something. But the kingdom life, the kingdom culture is one that gets back up in the power and the newness of life that God has given us and says, I will beat this. I will defeat this. I am not a failure. I am not a quitter. I'm an overcomer. I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. Look, he's paid way too great of a price for us to continue in condemnation. Let the Holy Spirit convict you and let the Holy Spirit cause you to rise up and get it right the next time. That's the kingdom life. This is how we win in life. We are winners. We're not losers. We're overcomers, not defeated. We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you this morning that you have provided to us overcoming ability in every situation of our lives. Father, you defeated the enemy. You overcame sin. You overcame death. And because of that, because of the price for son paid, we overcome as well. We are seated with him in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father with all authority and all power. Father, we love and rule and reign because you first loved us and you gave to us the most precious price. And so we thank you this morning, Father, that we are people that discover solutions. We're people that we don't operate in condemnation. We operate in the love of our God that has empowered us to win and overcome in every situation. And so we make a conscious effort starting today to crucify our flesh, put it down, put it under, put it in subjection. We discipline ourselves. So that we can live a full life, an overcoming life, a winning life. That although there is a struggle, there is victory in the struggle. We thank you for this this morning in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.